this is UCD Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at New City College of Business. Now, the growth of online commerce continues unabated around the world. And there are a number of people are heading up what is simply a revolution, whether you're familiar with Alibaba or Amazon. There are a lot of other pretenders as well to the main throne. And it seems that more and more we are ordering so much goods over COVID. You really saw this growth. It was an incredible period. And even though a lot of the lockdowns have ended, vaccination has opened up new avenues of us getting out there. The whole online ordering phenomenon is continuing with intensity all around the world. And particularly in the Asia region, where you really see incredible figures for the amount of online commerce that is taking place. And an Irishman is finding himself at the centre of this revolution. And his name is Robert Kiley. He's today's guest on Business Impact, a UCD uh, alumni. He's chief of staff at Lasada, which is a division of Alibaba and is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, and I'm going to find out how big it is, um, retailers, online retailers in Southeast Asia. You're very welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thanks very much, Emmett. Glad to be here. You're joining us all the way from Singapore, but I know your, your heart really uh, resides in the city of Limerick. So tell me a little bit more about your background and where you're from. Yeah, so born in Braden, Limerick City. I'm proud, proud Limerick man. Probably the early part of my career, I started with Michael Dell. I was in, uh, in Raheem uh, back in the early days, in the early 90s. Ended up in Dublin for a while as well, and worked for Intel, a few places like that, and ended up in Pfizer in Clondalkin, and probably there around 2012 and started my career in China then around late 2012, early 2013. And your family are, are still back in Limerick, and, and you're very much a quintessential Limerick man. I know you keep an eye on, on both Munster Rugby and Limerick Hurling, and you, you certainly have left, but you're, you're definitely keeping an interest and an eye back home a lot of the time. I do, I do. I try to keep close contacts with Limerick, even Limerick Chamber of Commerce as well. You know, I try to keep uh, close ties with them and keep them up to speed with what's going on uh, over here as well in, in the East um, so that they get at least get a chance to, to see what's going on from a from a technology point of view and from an advancement point of view. So, yeah, I do keep close ties. Immediate family is here with me. Uh, wife and son are here with me in Singapore. Uh, and my my mum and dad and at home and sister and brother home in uh, Limerick. Now, one of the reasons, Robert, we wanted to talk to you, we'll get on to a little bit about the, the business culture and business climate in Asia, particularly interested in the whole Singapore experience. But before that, let's talk a little bit about online commerce, because we have had other guests on this podcast before talking about the battle between bricks and mortar and online uh, retailing and how that's going. It's very different in different regions and different countries. It's playing out at different pace in those different locations. But let's let's talk a little bit about where you are you're based out of Singapore and you're working for this company, Lasada. Maybe not a household name in the Western world, but very much so uh, where you are. So tell us a little bit about the company and your role there as, as Chief of Staff. Sure. So Lasada is a um, Alibaba uh, company. Um, so it was acquired in 2016. It was originally a rocket internet venture from, from Germany. Um, and it was, was bought, invested in heavily uh, by Alibaba in 2016. With further investment in years years following that, um, so it's basically your online platform uh, marketplace where you can have shop in shop, uh, similar to the, the the Amazon model that you that you'd see that you'd be more familiar with back home. Um, 
and it's outreach then really the six countries into Southeast Asia. Uh, and the main reason for that, obviously, is it's it's targeted and earmarked as the biggest growth sector in Southeast Asia uh, for the next five years, uh, including countries like Indonesia, which is supposedly, you know, really um, catching up in terms of population with the US over the next five, 10 years. It's supposed to be similar, um, similar numbers. Um, so, so massive investment opportunity in Southeast Asia right now. And your your journey there, as you said, you have been working in pharmaceuticals, um, but the, the thread in your career, because you're you're not a chemist or you're not a physicist, etc., which can be the traditional background for someone in pharma, but you're very big on ops. And um, when we were in preparation for this interview, you were saying to me, and it, it kind of captured my, my imagination in the sense of what your job is about, which is ops is ops. Whatever the world is, whatever you are, what sector you're in. So give us some idea of, of kind of how the, the previous career you've had has prepared you for, for this current role you're holding. In operations, whether it's, it's medical device, you know, which obviously is much more regulated or whether it's electronics, which is much more fast paced or FMCG uh, or retail. You know, it, it really has for me, it's, it's got a simplistic beauty about it. You know, it's got a start, a middle and an end. Um, and when you understand the processes and the, the idiosyncrasies in that you know, it becomes quite quite easy to transfer from industry to industry. Um, you know, the change management pieces, the, the new product introduction pieces, you start to see similarities in, in the industries as you move around. Yes, different paces and different um, complexities, but overall, it, it's pretty much, I found it easy to transition, I think, from one to the other. And my, my, my qualifications are HR, which often can be strange when people read my resume. But it's helped me an awful lot, like just to view people as the center core of everything that you do and the processes are, are secondary to the people. And is, is there something that's kind of united all the jobs you've had? Is it about getting the, the, the product, whether that's a medical device, a drug, a retail product to the final end customer and making sure that's as seamless as possible? Is that is that where you add the value as you see it? I'm a big fan of challenge, right? And, you know, the, the, the greater the challenge, the more the more attractive it is to me usually. Uh, when, when I'm discussing roles and changes. Um, so the bigger the challenge for me, it was always the biggest attraction. So I used to follow that typically, uh, right, rightly or wrongly, um, in different industries throughout my career. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. I would I would probably get bored very quickly with doing the same the same role over and over again. And thankfully in, in, in operations and in, in particular in e-commerce, it's constantly changing. So, you know, no two days are the same. Now, one of the companies that, that took you from Ireland and, and brought you, or the company that took you over to China was PCH. This is a company that a lot of our listeners will know, some some others may not. They were involved in, in helping Ireland out, actually, recent uh, the last year to get personal protective equipment for COVID and all of that came with that. There was all sorts of uh, shortages at the time, a, a global supply uh, collision at that particular moment, but they helped us out a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about PCH and how you got involved with them in the first place? Sure, sure. Um, amazing opportunity, uh came my way um, around 2012-2013 with, with PCH, a wonderful company and really pioneering company that was one of the first companies in, in China to really you know, articulate uh, and to, to support companies really to navigate the, the, the maze that can be you know, trying to do business in, in China in terms of language barriers and in terms of knowing the right industries to work with and, and support. And they, they definitely were out there in the early days doing the, doing the hard uh, establishment and grew themselves up to to support wonderful companies over the years like Apple and Beats and, and major brands like that. Uh, it's essentially the brand behind the brands. 
um, as, as we used to like to say, but a wonderful company led by an amazing man, Mr. Liam Casey, uh, a visionary. And um, I was really fortunate and, and very happy to work with them. And Liam is, is known, <laughs> according to the lore, at least of having so many mobile phones he puts to his ear that he can, he can barely get through the day. He does work work hard. He's known for operating in a number of different time zones very rapidly. What, what was it like to, to work with him? That must have been a real baptism of fire. Oh, incredible. Um, I mean, in terms of the speed uh, and the dedication uh, that the man has, um, I don't even think he slept ever, if that I can remember. Um, just just incredible learnings to be around somebody like that, you know, to see how they operate and to see the speed at which they operate and their, their commitment to the customer was, was something which, which was, I've, I've yet to see its equal. Um, a terrific, terrific man. Yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to work with him, yeah. Now, when you, when you left Ireland, I presume, like anyone, you would have had certain perceptions of working and living in Asia. Um, this was your first time doing that. Can you give us any idea of, of, of the perceptions you would have had and then the reality when you got there and, and how the first sort of few months and, and year went for you? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're very, I think, susceptible to, to TV, I think, and, and what we see, you know, as, as being the cultural stereotype, you know, before we leave. I think I was definitely conscious of, of the heat that I was going to be experiencing <laughs> leaving leaving uh, leaving Ireland. Uh, I was aware of that. Um, I probably didn't really understand how much the language uh, would be an issue, you know, for me. So I had to try and learn a little bit of Mandarin to stay afloat uh, in in the country. But thankfully, you know, the, in the workspace, there was there was a good few expat Irish there, so we, we kind of bonded together. Um, to, to get through things. But yeah, things are very different, you know, uh, very little, it's kind of a cashless society a lot of the time as well. So everything is done through mobile phone, electronics, uh, cash transfer that way. Um, and then simple, simple pleasures that you have, like ordering a taxi or speaking to a taxi driver, things like that, you know, are very, very difficult to do um, because there is no, there's a very low level of English. It's all changed now, mind you, but in the early days, it was, it was, uh, it was tricky. It was like the first time I got on to, I went to Beijing myself. I was standing in the airport queue to get a taxi and a person leaned over my shoulder and said, do you like seatbelts? And uh, I said, yes, I tend to have a preference for them if possible. As soon as I got into the taxi, I was flown off down this sort of eight lane motorway and I was kind of rolling around like a, like a kind of a penny in the back seat of the taxi going from one window to another as no seatbelt was present. So there's small little things that you do notice. A lot of things are obviously homogenizing and converging and, and China in many ways can be like a Western country at times, but there are huge differences as well. I mean, was the language the main one or were there other things just settling in and getting your accommodation and just the working culture was probably quite different, I'd say. And, and the sheer numbers of people as well, you know, and as you say, uh, I recall a joke someone said to me once and they said, you know, I said, what the zebra crossing, what's that for? He says, oh, we only stop if we see a zebra. <laughs> so uh, I give you an idea of the, the kind of, it's just really a, it, competitive you know uh, culture you know there's competitive there's so many numbers there you know queuing for everything and the sheer people around you is something that strikes you immediately because you're used to that kind of personal space uh, back home um and you know you could be squashed into an mrt or a metro station things like that it can be it can be quite uh you know um difficult to get to get to grips with in the beginning but then after a while like anything else i think the irish are very adaptable um, I think that's why we have been for years and we've survived in, in the strangest of places. You just get on with it, you know. And you, after a few good few years at PCH, you moved on to your current role with Lasada and really making your move to Asia kind of permanent or semi-permanent, I suppose, to be fair to you. 
Just give us an idea for our listeners of just how online commerce operates in the region. You have, I think it's six or seven specific countries that make up where Lasada's operational footprint is. Give us an idea of what those countries are and just the dynamics of selling online in such a fast-growing, dynamic part of the world. Sure. So, I mean, the, the main countries we, we operate on our headquarters is here in Singapore. We operate in um, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Philippines, uh, Indonesia. But these are massive countries. I mean, you know, 60 million people in Thailand and, and probably the same in Malaysia. Uh, not so big here in, in Singapore, five, six million people here. Yeah, you're dealing with it it's, it's, as a way of life. Uh, I think people would have got a taste of it during COVID times uh, about how dependent people are. But it's just purely a way of life. Everybody orders online. Uh, you have these massive apps on your phone and there's campaigns every day, sales every day, mini sales, you know, flash sales, um, crazy sales, you know, every every single day attaching your your wallets, your e-wallets to your to your phone uh, and people just buying and, and getting home delivery, anything from, you know, washing machines to 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 groceries, you know. And then from a selling point of view, this whole commerce thing is, is huge now, whereas before you needed a lot of money to start a business. Now you don't. Uh, you can be at home with you know, a couple of products or whatever it is, and you can put the shop online and you can be selling to maybe an audience of maybe 500 million people. Now, the, the, the fascinating thing about Lasada was, as you said, originally a, a German inspiration, a, a German business idea, trying to essentially replicate Amazon in Asia, where Amazon, for whatever reason, and there's probably a long story behind it, but Amazon have traditionally been weak in that part of the world. I know they, they don't operate in China at, at all and have been kind of blocked out of there for many years. So, so you guys came in and sort of spotted a gap I mean, have you built on what Amazon have done or, or is it very much your own kind of concoction? You know, have you sort of developed your own business model that is sort of a variation of what Amazon done, does? What do you think you, if you wanted to compare the two companies? Is there, is there much difference in, in the, from what you can see? I know you don't work for Amazon, so there's a bit of guesswork there. But do you, do you think there's um, certain similarities or are they quite different in your view? Depends on the country you're in as well. Um, obviously, the demographics change in that. But the base, the base model, which, you know, would be your, your fulfillment model. Um, stock controlled by the by the platform uh, and then sent out by either you know third party logistics or the company's own logistics they tend to be the main uh, kind of the original uh, the original model uh, what's kind of new I think in this part of the world is the, is the cross border model where you can have different sellers in different countries selling selling cross border with a logistic solution already provided um, you might remember the old days you had eBay where you had to kind of figure out the postage yourself you had to figure out how much it was going to cost to send it across the world in different places. Whereas now what's happened is the logistics networks can actually tell sellers how much it's going to cost them, including tax, including custom charges, et cetera. And they can include that cost in, in their price, you know, um, for the, for the end customer. So the cross border piece and, and the marketplace piece really would be the new, the new way uh, I think of doing that as well. And one of the interesting things about Lasada is the, the range of goods that you're, you're selling there had been this traditional view that online retailing can be done pretty much for everything. But the one area, uh, fresh goods, uh, perishables can't quite migrate to an online retailing operation. But you you guys have sort of disproven that. And it's a, it's a big part of your business. Yeah, a massive part of our business here in Singapore is, uh, is Red Mart. Um, and that's our online grocery. So everything from fresh frozen goods, um, you know, dry goods, canned goods, alcohol, everything is, is delivered um, to your home. 
and you know you, you can order online order on the app and it can come the next day uh, in some cases same day deliveries um which is fine because singapore is quite a small small country um but yes definitely we're seeing trends in in, in you know probably again food panda things like this you, you may be aware of them and throughout europe and that but again they're all now moving towards this grocery uh, option and it's definitely an, an area where you get this kind of repeat business you always buy you know come back to to buy your groceries um it's this customer stickiness and repeat business that is, is quite attractive then as well in terms of getting people back to the platform and in terms of that sort of the the lines of battle between the bricks and mortar and the online retailing, how's that playing out in Asia? Like, obviously, you're taking big chunks of market share off the bricks and mortar sector. But is, is there certain areas that are more resistant or, or is it all sort of one way, one way traffic? What we've seen or what I've certainly seen is, is definitely swings. I mean, if you take pre-COVID, you know, retail was, was quite strong in certain brands, um, particularly the bigger brands and then the more famous brands. Um, and when COVID hit, it basically shut down retail completely. So we saw a lot of the brands go from offline, as we'd call it, which is bricks and mortar, to online being on, on our platform uh, and asking us for, for help in, in transitioning into that. So we, we've seen it kind of come full circle. Um, and the latest things we're seeing now really would be like, how do we, other customers maybe order online, but pick up in, in the store because they happen to be walking past? Or how do I... I don't want to carry home that heavy, heavy bag of, of whatever it is, dog food or flour or whatever it is. I can order it in the store, but it'll be delivered to my house. Um, these kind of online to offline, offline to online. So we're starting to see more synergies emerge, actually, between retail and, and, um, and online. And, and you've also noticed, Robert, how Asians shop and how important family and um, you know free time is to Asians in particular. Can you give our listeners some idea of how that plays out then in in what they purchase and how much use they make of online retailing, it's very much sort of tied into to people's social lives and the quality of life that they want to invent for themselves. Definitely. I mean, I think one of the differences is you'll see here is that, you know, a working day is not nine to five. Um, and even the, you know, the, the expatriates working here will, will testify to that. It could definitely be eight o'clock, nine o'clock and taking some calls. And if you're supporting, say, a European country, you need to work that a little bit longer because of the time difference, etc. So time is very, very, very precious and valuable to, to people working over here. And it could be a two, two people in the household working to support a mortgage or whatever. So we start to see that people don't really want to spend that three or four hours uh, going to and from uh, you know, a retail supermarket. They'd rather use that three or four hours to spend time with quality time with their families, etc. So that's definitely one of the reasons why the online supermarket has been much more, um, much more successful. Now, can I get uh, your, your take on, we're, we're surrounded here by a cacophony of headlines about inflation, about um, lack of supply, supply chain problems, cruxes, issues with just sort of demand being very high for certain inputs and certain materials. Our prices are going up across a whole range of areas. Obviously, energy is the one leading that, but there are others. Commodities of all kinds are, are very much stretched to try and get supply. Uh, one, are, are you seeing the same kind of trends in Asia that we're seeing here in in Western Europe, are, are also you're you're closer to the Chinas this world, so you, I suppose you're you're less exposed in one sense. But what kind of problems are you seeing on the supply side? Yeah, thankfully not so much because basically with 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 the, with the setup the way it is with with marketplace, a lot of the stock is is owned by the sellers themselves, so they have their hands on it. On the retail side, definitely we're seeing you know delays coming out of China. I think uh, is the most recent one, you know, because of the the amount of 
of requirements there is now because of the lack of, of air freight. Uh, ocean freight has, has, uh, has increased dramatically and the prices have doubled and tripled per container that we're, that we're seeing um, coming out of that. But thankfully, it's not a, it's not a huge, uh, huge impact. I think for us, it's, it's been manageable. But definitely uh, delays at ports, you know, um, in and out have been definitely something that's uh, has caused problems to, to, to retailers. And I noticed that the mix of, of your goods on the platform, you've got obviously vendors selling directly. Are you doing a lot of own brand stuff or, at all or is that something you're, you're going to look at? The only area we do that is actually in, in uh, for those that remember back in the day that you had the kind of the, the own brand in the supermarkets and the done stores and the, and the Tesco's back in the day. Uh, we do our own brand in, in terms of the, the grocery, um, but in, in terms of, of other products, uh, general merchandise or fashion, things like that, no, we don't. We don't have that yet. Uh, but it's a good idea, yeah? I'll definitely take that one back. <laughs> I want some credit on that one, okay? <laughs> and, and in terms of what's popular over there, like obviously you've got your basic groceries, we all understand that. But beyond that, what, what are the trends? What are the things that Asians just really have to get their hands on? What, what, where are you noticing the, the kind of runaway growth? What, what product lines are are kind of going out the door like you've never seen before? It's actually brands, um, to be honest. It's, it's, it's the brands that the people, you know, that, you know particularly on, on the um, cosmetic side, you know, the L'Oreal's, the Estee Lauder's, things like that. I mean, the, these are quite popular. What we're seeing is a general trend for Southeast Asia is that with the growth of e-commerce and the, the, the higher education and the younger people, there's definitely more discretionary spend available. Uh, and when they have that discretionary spend, they, they want to spend it on brands. You know, they want, they want the brands that they, they know and love and that they've worked hard for. And that's where we're seeing the, the growth sector right now. Now, some of the, the countries you, you um, are selling into and operating in have been sort of sometimes referred to as emerging markets or Asian tigers, fast growth countries that are coming from a, a further back economic position than some of the Western countries and Western economies. What kind of things are you seeing? Like how fast are these countries growing? They're obviously moving from agriculture and commodities and then obviously a, a, a low-cost manufacturing base kind of model, and they're gradually easing into a services-type economy. I mean, I obviously I'm asking you to summarize a whole lot of different countries with different dynamics and so on and different population sizes, but what are you seeing from where you are sitting at the moment in terms of how these countries are developing and, and what their, their, their future might look like? I think certain countries, you know, for, for labor costs and, 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 you know, financial reasons are starting to become popular, like Vietnam, Thailand, for manufacturing, for example, um, have emerged. Um, but I think they'll go through that cycle, like you described as well, where it'll become too expensive to, to manufacture there eventually. Um, the biggest change we're seeing, right, I, I personally see is the, the level of entrepreneurialism. Um, with, with the e-commerce um, platforms that are there, people can pretty easily, you know, pull a business together with very limited uh, capital, uh, probably even very little at all, right? Um, and they can actually grow a sustainable sustainable business for themselves and in some countries where money might not be as as, as available you know it's it's life-changing um, where families now have kids going to school that maybe would never have had a chance to go to school because they have these businesses that they're growing for themselves and they talk to their cousins and their aunties and after before you know there's a whole community of, of online sellers uh, in a small village uh, selling things and, and the whole village thrives as a result and, and people have businesses and jobs and I've met some of these people my travels around and it's really you know it's the kind of compelling cause for me why, why i stay in this seat to see the life changing what happens with them now we talk about business culture and, and business climate obviously singapore is 
right up there at the top of the league table. It's a triple A rated um, economy by all the ratings agencies. It's traditionally had very fast growth. As you said, it's it's a small country, give or take, around the same size as Ireland demographically. And it's, it's, it's a country that a lot of people study. A lot of people like what they see. Um, some people not so much, but certainly very low crime rate, very low, um, you know, social problems of any kind. The streets are clean, <laughs> notoriously so, etc. Um, give, give us your kind of first-hand sort of eyewitness account of living and operating out of Singapore. What's what's to like, and then what are some of the challenges like any place has? No, Singapore is is, is a fantastic country. Um, things uh, I think you know when you come from certain countries, no country is perfect, of course, right? I think things make sense, you know, uh, things tend to to flow together easy. You know, you have your phone, everything's electronic, your phone apps can order your taxi. Uh, you can you can order your, your food deliveries to your house, regardless of, of what it is. Just general ease of, of, of living, you know, um, and certainly for families, it's, it's ter- tremendously like safe. There's, there's no issues at all. You know, you don't have to worry about young kids and getting involved in, in the wrong stuff or drugs or anything like that. You know, because there isn't any. Um, it's, it's a really, really safe place to be. And people are generally friendly. It's just a nice, a nice atmosphere. It is, of course, you know, quite expensive. Um, you know, uh, for the Guinness drinkers listening, you could pay $15, $15 for a Guinness, which would probably scare some people. Um, <laughs> and don't, 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 don't leave us short here. Tell, tell us about the, uh, the whiskey prices as well. Yeah, your, your bottle of Jameson could be anything from maybe you know, $80 or $100 for, for a bottle of whiskey. So, uh, particularly alcohol is is priced quite highly actually and taxed quite highly as well on the import side. So it's one of the areas that they tax. So you could also pay $100,000 for a Toyota Corolla. So uh, it's not, not a place to buy a car, to be honest, you know. <laughs> so, so don't drink Guinness, don't drink whiskey, don't buy a car, otherwise you're okay. But what, what do you put these high prices down to? I mean, is it just too much demand chasing constricted supply or what, what's behind it? Or? I mean, it's, it's Singapore is an island, basically. So everything, it doesn't have its own natural resources uh, or anything like that. It's a financial hub. Um, everything is imported. So, I mean, for that reason, taxes and, and prices of items are, are generally higher. And it's quite a small, small island as well. So your rental accommodations and things like that can be quite, quite expensive as well. Yeah, the housing issue there has been handled quite interestingly. There is a, um, a differentiation made between sort of local residents who were born and bred there and people who've come in as expats. Can you explain that, uh, that side of it uh, to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, as, as a citizen of Singapore, you are, you know, you're entitled to a house. Um, now you pay for that house. Uh, it's called a HTB uh, programme. And then at a certain time, whenever you decide to get married, if you're having a house, you can apply. Um, and then the government will, will provide you with a, a house and they're constantly being built and torn down and rebuilt um, in, in the place. Whereas an, an expat is not able to, to, um, to get HDB. So you have to rent condominiums or you know, other apartments around the place. So just, so just a way that they look after their, their, own, their own people. So, so do you intend to stay there, Robert? Nobody knows what's going to happen. Or, or, or do you see your uh, time with Lasada and working at the Singapore as, as something that will go on for a few years? Obviously, nobody knows what's around the corner, but uh, you obviously sound like you're really enjoying life there. I mean, I, I never plan too far ahead. In, in, in Asia, you can't. I mean, long-term planning in Asia is six months um, because things change so fast and the rapid pace of life over here is, is so fast changing. Um, there's no such thing as three-year plans and five-year plans over here. So uh, from that point of view, it's um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, happy to stay out here. The, the, the climate's good, culture's good. I've always enjoyed it. It's been very good to me. 
and my family. So I'll stay here as long as, as I can, I guess. I suppose the ultimate plan is to open a, a Lasada limerick and bring the two pieces of your life together. What do you think? I never know. Yeah, let's see what happens. <laughs> never know. Take that back to the board as well as the other ideas we've come up with on this uh, podcast. Robert, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, time difference is always hard to organise these calls. Um, best of luck. You, you've had an interesting career. I think the next few years will be even more interesting. You're certainly in a, a very dynamic part of the world, fast growing part of the world, changing all the time probably a little bit more, um, I suppose, different to the culture here. And, and you're going to get to experience that and see it as, a, as it evolves and as these economies transform themselves in the next decade ahead. Thank you very much for coming on Business Impact today. Thanks so much. Great to be on. Thank you so much.